Hello, City Paper readers. What you're about to hear is our attempt to give everyone a little literary escape. Listen, we love journalism, we really do. But after a year like this, we think we could all use a break. That's why we asked seven local writers to share their best fiction, essays, poetry, and lyrics with us for a veritable Santa sack of stories. So pour a cup of cocoa and curl up next to the fire, or fan, and enjoy our annual lit issue. This is Gone From There, and I'm Aaron Wood. Pa won't ever the same after Grandma Judy killed herself, I reckon. He tried to hide it behind those lifeless eyes of his, but he always looked like he was thinking something heavy. I doubt we'll ever know why she did it. It's like one day she woke up and the weather didn't suit her, so she figured it was a good day to die. I came back from playing with Joe, the neighbor's boy, on account of it starting to rain, and there she was in her rocking chair on the front porch, her scalp blown clear off. I'll never forget it, part of her head missing, open at the top just like a rusty water pail, and her brains all over the ceiling. Looked like a bucket of paint dropped from a scaffolding, except all the splatter was mealy and gray. There were horse flies all about her, covering her nose and mouth like a funeral veil, and I wish to God I could have swatted every one of them. I don't hold it against her, but I hate the way she did it. If there's one thing I could change in my life, one single moment I could alter in this universe, I'd have given Grandma a 22 instead. The shotgun just made the whole situation so much worse, so much more vivid. Dying is never pretty, but that doesn't mean it's got to be a goddamn mess, neither. When I got Pa from the work shed, he didn't say nothing, just took me in his arms and buried my face in his stomach, but I still saw it in my head and I haven't been able to wash it off since. The knuckle of her big toe was caught in the trigger guard of Pa's double barrel, and you wouldn't have known it was her if it weren't for Granddaddy's pendant hanging from her lonely neck. I could hear Pa's heart, hear it beating like a midnight train, but he didn't cry a lick. The coroner came, the police too. We offered him drip coffee, and they said okay, but they set their mugs down here and there, and they were tepid and brimming when they left. They hauled her off to the morgue, and Pa put his shotgun back in the closet. In the following years, I'd sometimes catch Pa glancing toward the porch, usually before sundown, and I know he saw the blood-stained pine as good as I did. All the lacquer in the world couldn't cover that up. I've always had a few questions, a few items that keep me up at night when I can't keep my mind from wandering off like a mutt does for a bitch in heat. I know why I didn't hear the gun go off, but I can't say so for Pa. I was young and empty-headed, and Joe and I were off in the woods building a fort around the top of the well. Joe swore he heard something, but I don't believe him. The point is, we were off a ways. Pa's work shed, on the other hand, is only about a hundred yards from the porch, and Pa should have heard the blast. Should have gotten there first. I guess he was using a saw at the time. I've never had the heart to ask. The other thing I can't shake, can't seem to put right like sand back to stone, is why he kept that damn gun. It was his daddy's gun, and his granddaddy's gun before him. But as far as I'm concerned, he should have taken that gun and buried it in the deepest hole he figured he could still climb out of. Instead, he kept it, never took it out or polished it once, but he kept it all the same. The 12-gauge sat in the corner of the closet by his old coats and want knots, and its barrel sparkled like a crystal ocean when the hall light hit it. It cut me down at the knees every time. I'd see that gun, and then I'd see Grandma Judy dead as dead, and the memory of her head painted all over the porch. I can't fathom why a man would keep such a thing.
But men do all sorts of strange things. They respond funnily when they're confronted by pain, and it's the only explanation I have for why Pa changed. Maybe change is the wrong word. It's more like he just shut down. He wasn't the only one. Quite a few in our family dealt with pain of the psychological sort, and I reckon that's what made Grandma do it. I can remember his brother, Uncle Charlie, and his weathered face, little crow's feet all around his eyes, and with one look at him you knew he was contemplating something dreadful, something deep inside him in the recesses of his head where only he could go. Uncle Charlie hit the bottle a lot. He took to smelling like whiskey even in the morning, and Pa told him to clean up or stay off the property. I almost wish Pa had taken to the bottle. At least I'd have known there was something in him still living, something down in there he was trying to kill. He might as well have been stuffed with cotton and sewed together like Raggedy Ann, except Pa didn't smile much ever again, and some days he didn't speak a word till supper. It stayed that way until past the biscuits started to feel like a hug. There must be something lonesome in this blood of ours. Things went on that way for as long as I can remember, and every day I reckon he grew more distant. There were times when I'd find Pa laid down in the tub, staring up at the ceiling with water up to his lips. I'd knock on the door and he wouldn't answer, so I'd go in and he'd be lying there like a corpse and I'd tell him good night, and there wasn't a ripple to be made. I knew he heard me. Afterwards I could never sleep. I'd just be thinking that Pa might kill himself too. I'd toss and turn, waiting to hear the other round of the double barrel Grandma never got around to, and I'd have to go through it all over again. Eventually a time came when I knew Pa won't ever change him back, that I was stuck with this shadow of a man. Grandma had always read me my verses on Sunday, and I kept reading them even though she committed the worst sin of them all. One day, maybe a couple months after she left us, I was sitting in the living room after breakfast. It was Sunday, but Pa still worked it. He came in from his work shed and saw me reading and looked at me for a good long while. I felt his eyes on my neck like hot wax, so I turned to him and asked if he was all right. He responded, What are you reading? My verses. He sucked at his teeth. What for? I looked at him and he stared back at me and we did so till everything started to go out of focus and I had to look away. I regret looking away. I don't want to see it out again, he sighed. You ought to know. He's gone from this place. I kept that Bible and it's sitting in my nightstand and sometimes when I'm feeling particularly unsettled I'll take it out. It doesn't have the impact on me that it used to. At this point, they're just stories, but stories are meant to be read. I didn't keep much else from all that time. I guess it's because I don't like to think of it. I sometimes wake up at night and I'm covered in sweat and shivering and my lungs are sore from screaming, and Lisa is looking at me like she's scared as hell, but she lays me down and rubs my back till I'm asleep again. Back asleep and back to where I'm susceptible to the memories I thought I'd buried. Dreams have a way of working themselves into the crevices of your thoughts, as if they were fluid, and they seep into the sutures of old wounds you thought were healed in behind you, pulling out the muck and dried blood and you've got nothing but a mirror for company. They've got a lot to say, that's for sure, and I reckon my sutures run deep. The only other thing I kept was my grandma's wedding band. The coroner had a little bag with her possessions, and it didn't look like much. I gave it to Lisa, my wife, after all those years. Lisa was mighty pretty, still is, and I figured at the time that I needed to settle down. 
Pa gave me the ring three days after Grandma had done it, and I put it away for safekeeping in a little box Pa had whittled out of an oak stump. It sat there gathering dust, just like Pa, and it's the only thing he ever gave me worth holding on to. I still have the box, and on the bottom it says, For my only son, in jagged letters, carved with the tip of his pocket knife. The ring ain't nothing special, just a gold band about as thin as a tree sprout. But Lisa don't mind, and I don't think Grandma did either. It's been more than 20 years since I've been home, and he's plenty old now. I'm not a spring chicken anymore, but once I moved out, I felt younger. Pa couldn't force his silence on me anymore. He had to face it himself, confront the reality of it all. I've moved on the best I could, and most days I don't think about Grandma one bit. It's only the dreams that haunt me still, and only once in a while but those visions bubble to the surface and burst something vile. It's a toxin coursing in my veins and sometimes my body can't put up a fight, can't resist the cotton mouth or spider bite that resides somewhere in the innards of my mind and maybe one day it'll prove fatal. My pa called me today. He'll sometimes call out of the blue to check in, ask how Lisa and the grandkids are. His voice sounds like gravel sloshing in a wheelbarrow, maybe from lack of use and his coughing fits are getting longer. He has been in and out of the hospital on account of the cancer, and when I visit him, we sit there staring at the television like these moments are infinite and there's no hurry. You'd think after all these years of silence, we'd have something to talk about. I wasn't sure what prompted his call this time, but he fell silent for a spell, and then he asked me if we'd like to come visit him, come to the house and have some supper. I was silent for a while, felt like an eternity, and when I came to, I sucked at my teeth and asked them what for. To read and hear more, visit charlestoncitypaper.com slash lit issue. <laughs>